podcast focused on lessons learned via the musician's backstory, as well as building successful careers in the business. My name is Allison M., and I'll be interviewing artists and industry experts and offering insights based on events Wisconsin Music Ventures has produced. Let's get down to business. Hey, everyone. I am so happy to have on the show here today, Melissa Slocum. Uh, she is all the way in Georgia while I'm here in Wisconsin. Melissa is a studio, a music studio owner, a piano teacher, podcaster, and business coach. So welcome, Melissa. Glad to have you today. Thank you so much, Allison. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and we've gotten to know each other pretty well online uh, over the last yeah. year or so. And uh, it feels like we've known each other for a long time. And, I know. Um, and, uh, but, you know, it's been one of the nice things about this uh, pandemic is, you know, everyone's been online and uh, connecting in, in ways that we maybe didn't before. Yes. Um, and it's been really fun to follow what you have going on. So. Oh, thank you. Can you just give me an overview of, uh, for the audience of what you do um, currently in music? Yeah. So uh, I have been a studio owner and teacher here in my own studio in Atlanta, in Atlanta area um, for the last 11 years. Before that, I lived in Maryland. Um, my husband's job has moved us a couple different times. And uh, I first started teaching music when I lived in Maryland. My kids were young. Um, and just really when I came back to teaching, it was definitely more of what I wanted to do. And we'll talk about that later. But aside from teaching, I'm now kind of launching into a few other ventures. You mentioned podcasting. So I do have a podcast called The Sounds of Encouragement that developed during the uh, pandemic, just because there were so many folks who I, uh, I was being told that I was a very calming kind of presence <laughs> and calming voice and had a lot of helpful things to share. So I did start the podcast about a year ago called Sounds of Encouragement. And I also do a fair amount now of coaching and um, group cohorts, think tanks, one-on-one uh, -on -one coaching for people who want to start their own studios or who are just starting out or maybe who are feeling a little burned out and are ready to try something different. So I developed an online course uh, based on something called differentiated instruction. And I show people kind of how to do what I've done, which is really transform my own studio and what I do and how I teach so that I can retain more students. And I'm not always hustling all the time for new people. So it's been an adventure, uh, constantly growing. I have a new business that I'm giving birth to um, in the last year called Music Grow. And that's really an endeavor to support other creatives and other artists. So that's just mm -hmm. launching. There's not a whole lot out about that yet, but there will be. Yeah, very exciting. And I, I love that about you. You're always like, you always have something happening, always like a, a new great idea and just, you know, very inspirational to, to find out what you have happening in the hopper. So can you, can you tell me a little bit about uh, how you got started in music going way back, way back yeah. at the beginning? Yeah. So I grew up playing piano and I started, I think at about the age five and a half, uh, I started on piano and I took lessons all through 
um, all through my young years. And I grew up in Wisconsin. So yeah, taking lessons and had wonderful teachers along the way. I added other instruments along the way in middle school, started playing clarinet and, you know, was in the band. High school did marching band. I did things for church. I was singing. I was playing handbells, doing all the kind of things Mm -hmm. that you do. Uh, And I just decided by my senior year in high school, I was burned out actually of piano. I loved music, but I could not see myself going for a music major. I couldn't, I was too burned out. I had done every competition. I had done every possible, you know, ensemble or every possible thing that there was available at that time. My teacher was entering me into, and it was a great experience, but I really just got burnt out of playing in front of judges and going to competitions. And so mm-hmm. I did not go to music school. And instead I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to do something else. And so when I went to school, uh, I went for communication and I found organizational communication while I was at college. And that was really what um, opened up a whole nother side to me of business and communication. And I realized I had a passion for something other than music. I kept my music studies going, but I did not do a music major or a music minor because I also thought at the time that I might uh, do some other things as well within the realm of the church. And so, um, you know, I, I left music um, as a performer and I left me, didn't consider teaching music. Instead, I was on the route of more of music ministry in churches. Mm -hmm. And I did that very successfully for 16 years and worked in a few different States for a few different churches. And I finally got to the point where I decided I was going to stop working for people who are unethical. And I was going to stop working for systems that were broken. And that was when I finally, I put in my resignation, um, went through a really difficult experience with the last church that I was at, um, worked for some really terrible people, unfortunately, uh, and decided I just, my kids need me at home. I had toddlers. I needed to pivot and I needed to do something else. So that's how I got into, or that's why I started my own studio back in Maryland. And that's why I went down the path of music teaching, because I knew it was something I could do. I knew I could teach pretty much anything. I knew I could play. I knew I could at least work with beginners and give it a try. And so I did that. And then after moving down here to Atlanta, um, after a couple of years and restarting the studio and building up from scratch, I decided, you know, this is something I want to make full time and I want to do, I I want to do this for the rest of my life because I love being my own boss. And so then I went back and did uh, my certification in piano pedagogy, which is piano teaching. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. There are some things that you brought up that I hadn't realized about you that I want to ask about. So uh, first of all, what is the organizational communication? What exactly does that mean? So organizational communication focuses on uh, any type of organization, profit or non, and we analyze the communication channels and how things happen, and it's it relies heavily on systems theory and processes. Um, 
as lot as well as the results too. There's some business that gets mixed in there, business courses, um, you know, basic kind of business information, business technology. Um, and it's a lot of HR. So a lot of people who do organizational communication will go into human resources. And a lot of my friends and um, who went to school with me at the time did go into HR. So I really got a great background in business, got a great understanding of communication, group communication, one-on-one interpersonal communication, a um, lot of technology, some journalism, all sorts of stuff kind of thrown in along the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. That makes a lot of sense now too, because you're yeah. you're very like detail oriented and very very organized, and I love that. I try. Uh, it's all it's all coming together now. And then uh, I didn't realize, uh, you know, so much about the church music background that you had, and uh, and I ha- I don't know if we talked about this, but I have a lot of that too, and um, and I, I can agree with a lot of that. But uh, and church music can actually be a really good field, field even in a lucrative field for yeah. musicians, um, if you choose to go that route. And it's I always enjoyed it um, because. You can actually, um, I mean, you can often have a lot of creative control with yes. what music you're doing, and, and it's always changing because every week it has to be different. And yes, um, but uh, I mean, for me, and and you, you know, you can speak to what your experiences what were there in just a second. But um, for me, I you know, a lot of it was just that the, the people in leadership positions. Uh, aside from the pastors, we're often, you know, volunteers. They, you know, they, they're just doing their best. Um, they don't always know exactly what happens day to day and what needs to happen. They don't really understand the role of the musician. And it's, it's I don't know. Uh, was that anything similar to what you had experienced? Yeah, there was some of that. I guess, you know, if you've worked in churches, you also sort of know or have probably had the experience where you get pulled into a little bit of everything. Um, and so whether, you know, you are qualified or not in a particular area, you always get called on, Hey, can you do this, um, Sunday school class or, Hey, can you work with youth group or, Hey, can you work with the young adults or, Hey, can Uh, you do this or can you lead this prayer? It's like, uh, sure. Why not? You know, and depending on the type of church that you're in, the size, the staffing, um, you might get pulled in to do a little bit of everything from music to, you know, you might. I, and I don't play organ, so I'm like, sure. you know, I can try, but it's not going to sound great. You know, I can play piano for you. I can do hymns. I can do all that. Um, and I can lead choirs, did a lot of that, um, of all different kinds. And, you know, I can help with things like I can strum a few chords on a guitar. I can do a few things like that, but, um, you know, I'm not going to probably go make hospital calls. I can, mm-hmm. but <laughs> it was mm-hmm. just after a lot of, years doing what I was doing, I felt well. Uh, I just decided that the, the people that I was working for, I mean, just to give you one example, the first pastor that I ever worked for was in a fairly small church in Wisconsin, and he was sexually harassing all of the female employees mm-hmm. and a good chunk of the parishioners too, and ended yeah. up in jail, you know, wow. and that was like, that was I had more of the same throughout my career in churches, unfortunately, where I just had so many unethical people that I was working with that I just finally right. decided the night meetings, the weekend work, the mm-hmm. getting asked to do things with no resources. You never had budgets to work with, really. Mm-hmm. You know, our budgets were always cut. 
it was such a drain. And then when you have little children at home and you're just not making that much money, it's like, you know what? I can stay home and I don't have to deal with night meetings. I don't have to deal with working on weekends. I can really be here for my family if I just let all of this other stuff go. And so that's what I really had to do. Um, I also had a major um, health event about the same time that I resigned from the last church job that I was at. And that was a major factor too, was trying to put my health back together and, you know, figure out what my next move was going to be professionally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Your similar, your, your story is very similar. So we'll have to talk yeah. more off, offline yeah. about this, <laughs> yeah. but uh, yeah, thanks for, for giving us some more insight into that. And, and it is sad, but true, but you know, uh, people assume the church works very, um, you know, the churches are Christian and, you know, very um, ethical just due to the nature of what they are, but there's a lot beneath the surface that, that you yeah. don't always uh, get to know unless you're really in it. So, um, but let's get back to, to your music story. And, um, so where did you start really learning the, the business of music then when you decided to go that route? I mean, you had the, a little bit of business in your college degree, but, um, where did you start picking some of that up? So my dad, uh, was a general contractor. And so I saw him owning his own business and running his own business as a general contractor um, throughout the 70s, 80s, and 90s as I was growing up and going through school. I learned a lot. <laughs> when your parents own a business, whew, you learn a lot about customer service, about running a business, just all sorts of things. And it really gave me a lot of insights that I didn't even realize I would use until I started opening up my own studio and running my own business. And combine that with my degree work in organizational communication. And I think that's where everything sort of came together. And the business stuff for me was super easy, you know, creating policies, um, running my business, advertising, getting clients, um, doing the financials, just all of that stuff about behind the scenes running the business came very easily to me. And then when I had things that I was struggling with, I made sure that I hired a good coach and had good mentors around me mm-hmm. and just continued to learn from people who were the best at what they did. So, mm-hmm. you know, to make a good investment in someone who is a mentor or a coach is a great thing to be able to do. But a lot of the business side of it actually came pretty easily to me. And the business side of music teaching is a little different, I feel like, than the business side of being a musician. So the business side of being a musician, I think, is a lot tougher in some ways um, because I think you're a little bit more on your own. In the music teaching world, I feel like there are some there are some inherent support networks if you choose to use them. Uh, and so I guess that's where I really felt like I never had a problem because I had some background, I had some experience, uh, and it came easily to me. And then I had... I had coaches and mentors and I had people locally who could help me if I had a question. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you're right about that. Um, and we, we met through one of those support networks uh, yeah. for music teaching through the Fonz group, F-O-N-S. Yeah. Um, we'll give them a shout out since uh, yeah. they they're, are so great at what they do. Uh, Cause we both use Fonz for our teaching, I believe. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, and they have, they have a really great network around what they do for their product for, um, 
for their lesson scheduling and payment processing and everything. Yes. Um, and that way, if you have a lot of questions about any question about what, how you're doing things for your studio, uh, for your business as a whole, uh, you can just ask people in that network and, and you will get a lot of great answers. I agree. Um, but uh, yeah, you're right. We don't really have resources to that level for the independent artists, performing artists, um, quite the same way. Uh, I mean, there are, there are associations, there are um, performing, yeah, like in, in Wisconsin, there's, there's Whammy, there's, right. Um, right. there's some groups that are starting to pop up. Um, even the Grammy yep. Association really does, you know, on higher level things. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's, it's a lot less, po- it seems less possible. Um, do you think we could ever get what happens for the music teachers to also be available for the, the independent artists? I I think so. And that's one of the things that I'm working on as part of a new company that I'm, you know, bringing to light here, hopefully in the next year or so. The new company Music Grow is really about helping musicians and teachers grow. And it's for all creatives, not just musicians and teachers, but artists, dancers, uh, poets, writers, anyone who is a creative. Um, I'm hoping to be able to build platforms, have a foundation, have spaces that are safe for creatives to really put their work out there without paying these, you know, enormous fees or, um, being a company like Spotify where, you know, the, the performers, the musicians just get nothing back really from it. Um, I want to continue to build on what's already out there, not just for musicians, but for all creatives. So we'll get there because I know there are other people like me who are doing things to support creatives. Uh, But that's where I feel like, yeah, whether you're a private musician and you're a solo musician or you're a um, band who's you're trying to get out there and get gigs, uh, organizations like yours, um, Wisconsin Music Ventures, uh, a lot of other organizations that are affiliated like with NAM. Um, or state state organizations, I think people are starting to realize out of this experience of the pandemic that we don't have enough support in place for people mm-hmm. in general, you know, no matter what you do, whether you're an educator, whether you're a performer, whatever you do, we just don't have enough supports in place. And that's how Music Road has developed. It's out of a need for encouragement, for support, for more spaces for creatives to get their work out there, especially I'm very passionate about having those who are in the LGBTQIA community, not just have a voice. I'm not just concerned about inclusion, right? I'm concerned about having people in power who can make the decisions, who reflect our society, who reflect our culture. So it's not just about having, you know, um, uh, someone who is indigenous on a board. It's about Mm -hmm. someone who's indigenous being the chair of the board and having black people who are serving as, you know, sponsors and founders and bringing all folks together in the community, regardless of what they reflect. Because I feel like there are so many communities where the arts boards in the city or in the county uh, locally are still very homogenous. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 
Um, yeah, I couldn't agree more with you. So how, what, how are some of the ways, what are some of the ways that you're going to be looking to do this then? Yeah. So one is the podcast already sounds of encouragement. Uh, I'm very intentional about the guests that I, um, interview and that I include as part of sounds of encouragement because we want to support every single artist out there. We want to support every background, every experience out there, um, every orientation out there. Another is hosting conferences, hopefully in the future, just as a way of saying, you know, it's not about continuing education. A lot of people don't need more continuing education, and we already have conferences that do that. But a lot of people go to conferences, and no one ever has said thank you for what you do. No one ever has ever really said, you matter, you va- you're valued, your art, your work is important to our society. And here's how we're going to help you make a bigger impact when you go back home. So that's what I'm looking forward to. Um, and then also building more platforms for creatives to be able to have their work available and reach directly to their audiences. We have apps like Bandcamp and that's great. Uh, and there are more things I know that, again, other founders, other creators are developing things, but we need more spaces that are really, again, safe for people of all backgrounds, people of all whatevers, <laughs> um, who are able to share their work and connect with their audiences and be able to do that in a way that is meaningful to those artists and is not about a money grab you know, for some particular organization. So there's mm-hmm. a lot. There's a lot to do. There's a lot of work ahead. There's a lot to build. There's a lot to work with. Uh, you know, it won't just be me. It'll be a, a lot of us eventually working toward that. Um, but I'm just in the infancy stage right now of building all of that. Yeah, it's very exciting. Definitely much needed right now. Yeah. 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 Um, and tell me, let's see. Uh, we, we already found out how you ended up, uh, what, your, what your association is with Wisconsin. You, you end up uh, coming back here a little bit I at do. each year, right? I do. I grew up in Chippewa Falls, but um, we have a family home in Door County. Uh, and, you know, even if we don't keep the family home much longer, I will still always come up to Door County because it's one of the places that I grew up loving to be. And we have family history up in that area as well. Um, so yeah, Door County is a favorite place. A lot of friends up there. I've worked up there. It's just, you know, one of my favorite places in the world. My kids love it up there. So we'll always, uh, come back to Wisconsin. Awesome. Yeah. I love knowing that. Um, what are some of the biggest challenges that you've experienced in the music industry over the years? Yeah. You know, unfortunately I think the biggest challenge is the, um, what do I want to say? The judgment around having letters after your name. (laughs) Mm. So there are a lot of people who, you know, when you, again, when you, when you land in a community or you're starting out or you're trying to figure out what's available in your area, there are a lot of people who first want to know, where did you go to school? What are your letters? You know, do you have a BA? Do you have an MBA? Do you have a master's in music? Do you have, you know, a PhD? What do you have? And, or do you have an NCTM through Music Teachers National Association? And they're so concerned about the letters. And it's like, why does any of that matter? You know, no, I didn't go to Berkeley. And no, I don't have a master's in music performer, piano performance. 
and I don't mm-hmm. have my NCTM. Mm-hmm. And so I've experienced a lot of people just write, you know, if I don't check certain boxes along the way, then they don't even want to talk to me. And Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's been something that's still hard, I feel like, for a lot of people is there are so many great teachers, incredible teachers that I know personally, who also they don't have any of that, you know, um, and, and they just get discounted because, you know, they didn't take, I guess, a traditional route or they didn't take the route of academia to become an incredible teacher. And so then it's almost like they're being denied access, right, to the respect, to the resources, to whatever, until they somehow prove that they have the credentials. And I'm not against being credentialed. I'm not against being educated, quite the opposite. Um, you know, I went back and did my certification in piano pedagogy because that was important to me to have that. But even now people look at me and go, oh, well, you didn't do, you know, your master of, you know, piano performance at whatever. And it's like, no, I didn't. And I didn't do MTNA's uh, certification, the NCTM, because actually my certification program was much more intense and gave me much more than just an NCTM would. So I feel like there's still a lot of judgment around that and a a lot of um, just academic, I don't know what I want to call that. Can can I say BS? Yeah. Oh yeah, (laughs) totally. And there Um, is, yeah. I'm, it's, it's been the same for me because I, uh, as I think, you know, you, I, I teach a lot of piano, uh, but French horn is my main instrument. And, um, but having been involved with different piano organizations, they want to know, oh, what do you, you know, where did you study piano? And while I have a master's in, in music and um, in conducting, and I had to study piano and organ along the way for what I was right. doing, I don't have a specific degree in piano. Right. <laughs> so that like, you know, kept me from being a part of certain things yeah. And it was, it's just, you know, okay, you know, really? And um, I'm sure you've had this experience too, where you have clients who come to you who have been to other teachers. Oh, and yeah. They come to you and they're like, wow, you're so much different than our former teacher. And when I ask about that and say, you know, tell me more about that, what are you noticing? Well, you know, our last teacher had um, a master's in piano performance, but you know, can't teach like you can. I'm, well, I don't know exactly what that means. And I'm certainly right. not going to badmouth any teachers, but I know a lot of people who are incredible performers, but really shouldn't maybe be teaching. Yeah. Because I really feel like teaching is its own gift, just like performing. Like I'm not a great performer. I, you know, I'm okay, but I'm not great. I'm a great teacher though. And I'm a great mm-hmm. coach because I'm, I'm so in tune with that. And I've always done it. Right. Yeah. It's just so silly what we have to focus on and <laughs> what needs to look good on paper. And yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm totally with you on that. That's, that's, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, and I wish, and I, I do think some of those places are going to have to start shifting their, their views and, and what they, I mean, I, for, for instance, and I'll, I'll keep this brief because I want to get back to you, but, you know, I was kind of like denied entrance to like a, one of these piano groups because of, you know, I didn't have a piano degree. Right. And um, 
And I would have been one of their youngest members um, easily. And, you know, I said, I, I really don't need to be a part of that group. I can just, I, if I want my kid, my students to audition for a pro- program, I could just put together their own audition program and bring my own friends in for, to be, uh, you know, judges or whatever. Exactly. Um, that's fine. But, uh, you know, the rest, I was looking at the membership of the group and I was like, you know, it's, it's not, I mean, they're not helping their themselves here. They're, they're not, exactly. it's a very retirement age group. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and so I just don't know how they're going to survive with that model either. So I agree. And, maybe- and here's the thing. How dare we, right? right? How dare we say such judgmental things to people that we don't even really know based on the letters after their name or their sexual orientation or the color of their skin. How dare we? It's 2022. It's 2022. (laughs) You know, we have to do better. And that's what Music Grow is all about for me, doing better. You know, if I can't change the systems that are currently here, we're going to start new ones. And we're going to, you know, exactly what you're talking about that experience where you get denied access because you don't have a certain degree or you don't have certain letters behind your name. That's what music grow is going to try to help change. And the first thing we're going to do is help people feel valued again for who they are, not Mm -hmm. for their qualifications or the letters after their name. You know, you are a valuable incredible, talented person that people need to be able to connect with, whether you're teaching them French horn or piano, or whether you're promoting them as part of Wisconsin Music Ventures, not because of your educational background or your qualifications or your certifications or any degrees you have, but just because of how valuable a person you are and because of your experience and because of how amazingly talented you are. That's what we (laughs) need to be looking at is how can we bring forth, how can we call forth in people that affirmation of value? How can we bring forth and encourage that affirmation of you're already good enough? You don't need all the extra stuff. If you're, if you're out there and you're doing a great job, we need to affirm that, not take that away from people. So how dare we judge people without understanding what they do and how good they are at it? Now, I'll be the first one to admit Like, hey, if there's something I need to learn and I'm not doing well, please show that to me. And I am willing to learn. I'm constantly learning new things. Oh, yeah, for sure. Constantly changing, you know, my viewpoints or or how I do things to make them better, to make myself a better teacher. So, you know, that I'll get off my soapbox there. But yeah, how dare we judge people for that? Yeah, yeah, it's. And I, I think the intent is that, you know, they want students to really think about uh, who they take from. They, you know, they want students to come around and take lessons from that group of people as, as opposed to uh, those of us who aren't as, as specifically educated. But, right. uh, yeah, it's it's just such a strange and, and dated philosophy, I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm really glad you're working on this kind of stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then what are some of the, what's the, the greatest lesson you've learned along the way as a musician or as a business person yourself or, uh, just as a human being? <laughs> I love this question. The biggest lesson that I've learned is to trust my own voice. 
Um, You know, there's a lot of things that we can unpack about ourselves and about our past and our history. And if you have any kind of trauma issues in your history or anything that minimizes your own view of yourself or that anything that silenced you at any point, this is likely an issue for you as well. Uh, I grew up never trusting my own voice and never trusting myself and what I could really do. I always just did what everybody else wanted me to do. I was a people pleaser (laughs) and I was great at it. And now, wow, you know, years of therapy in and out, um, and lots of really hard work on myself and lots of good personal growth. The, the biggest lesson I've, I keep learning and relearning and, and I'm, I keep enjoying learning is that my voice is to be trusted. My voice is important. My voice is unique and it's my own and it's worthy and it's needed. And so I have to continue to trust my voice. It's okay for me to look out in the world and see what other people are doing. It's okay for me to get a coach or a mentor or a therapist or whatever and get help for what I need help in. But ultimately at the end of the day, how I run my business or, you know, how I parent my children or how I choose to do things has to be mine. It has to be what I want to do. It has to reflect what I believe and it has to reflect what I know to be true for me. So if I am running through my, you know, checklists of in my head, you know, my mental and emotional checklists, you know, what's true, what's right, what's good, what's worthy, um, what's important to me, what are my values and things are checking off, then yeah, it's okay for me to move forward with whatever decision I'm making. But that's been constantly the biggest lesson that's presented itself to me is trust my own voice. When I do that, I do really, really well. (laughs) When I don't do that, then I'm just following somebody else's stuff and it doesn't really work. And that's, um, that's why I fit in so well with organizational communication and systems theory and with differentiated instruction because, and I built a whole course on that for music teachers because I do that with my students too. I don't bring my students in and say, here's how you play piano and here's the music you're going to play. I bring students in and say, well, let's learn about you and show me what you can do. Why do you like piano? What music do you enjoy? And I learn from them and I try to figure out what they bring and what they want and what they're looking for and what their goals are. And then we get into the process of learning what they want to learn and how I can best adapt my teaching to fit what they want and what they need. I just don't believe in cookie cutter templates for anything. Um, and that's directly from, you know, my training with organizational communication and business. Um, there are a lot of people out there who sell a lot of books and make a lot of money on their templates, you know, seven habits of highly effective people. Mm -hmm. It's a great book, Mm -hmm. but (laughs) has it really worked? (laughs) I mean, you know, maybe some of them work for some people, but again, you know, a template is only going to go so far for you. And so that's where I can take a template. I can look at curriculums. I can look at method books. I can look at whatever, you know, coaching programs are out there. I can look at business paradigms, but at the end of the day, I have to go, what works for me? What makes sense for me and what makes sense for who I'm working with or what makes sense for what I'm trying to accomplish? And so that's what I always have to filter things through. And when I do that, things work really well. Yeah. Yeah. 
Awesome. I love that advice. So thank you so much for speaking. Yeah. Uh, so from the heart on that, I really appreciate it. I can, I can use that too. <laughs> it's um, hard. It's hard. It is right. <laughs> it's not easy to listen to yourself and, and do all of that, but, uh, yeah, I like that. So, um, what advice would you give to some, someone who's, who's getting their start in music right now? My biggest piece of advice, given what we've been through in 2020 with the pandemic hitting, uh, and this is advice now that I've given to my own teenagers and several music students, diversify. Diversify your skill sets. Um, there are a lot of musicians who, you know, they they couldn't gig. Uh, a lot of bands who the venues are shut down. Bands were not able to go out and do anything. Um, even classical performers theaters are closed. Stages were shut down. So they had to figure out how to pivot. And some people did it very successfully and very well, and some people couldn't. So my biggest piece of advice for young people or for anyone is diversify your skill sets. And, you know, some people complain uh, <laughs> with me that, oh, you know, you, you know a little bit about everything. I do. I'm not an expert necessarily in everything. I wouldn't want to be. Um, but I have a few key areas that I can do really, really well. I understand music teaching incredibly well. I understand small business entrepreneurship really well, and I can coach in that with small groups um, or one-on-one. -on -one. Um, you know, there are some other things I can do really, really well. There are a lot of things I'm really bad at, but at least I have a few skills that are marketable. I'm really also like an audiophile, and I love like tech and embracing new technology and equipment, and I'm a little bit of a gear nerd. So, you know, I love learning all of the tech stuff too. So my biggest advice is diversify, because if you can diversify and have not just one thing that you're great at, but if you can have two or three that you could combine or put together or take apart um, and use for whatever, I think you're a much more well-rounded person. And I think you're also more marketable in the world for whatever is coming next. Um, there are a lot of people who, because they only ever study one thing and they study it so deeply, they kind of get stuck. And it's great to have experts and it's great to have the top you know, one or two people in the field, but what are the chances that, you know, you're going to be that top person in your field? Pretty slim. Yeah. yeah. So my suggestion to my own children and to everybody out there, I guess, regardless of age is it's, it's never too late to learn something new, never too late to go back to school, never too late to enroll in courses. And so I would really encourage people to diversify. You don't need to have 10 things that you're good at, but I think two or three is wise. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I like that. That's a really good thought that I don't think anyone has really suggested on this before. So, uh, yeah, very, very smart. Um, and, uh, yeah, I've always, um, considered myself like a portfolio musician. We might've talked about yes. that term before and, uh, and who knew that could be so useful, <laughs> Exactly. Um, you know, of course, no one ever plans for what chaos we are in. This, even now, is it is it getting bad by you right now? By the yeah. way, we're yeah, it's January 2022 now. Yeah, uh, as we're recording this, and things are getting worse again. Yep. Um, this is what now into the third year, third calendar year of this, and uh, yeah, and I love what you said about you know learning technology. And if I could, 
personally like give anyone advice well I, I would have a lot of advice but <laughs> so from what you said is like the technology piece is super yeah. important because that we know is always going to be changing and if you can stay on top of that you are going to be you know heads and tails above um, everyone else and yeah yeah and I think even if you feel like oh I can't stay ahead of it I think the the advantage that we have now too is um, we have better networks. Mm-hmm. We have more opportunities to learn without having to go anywhere. So mm-hmm. even if you're not up on all the latest tech, you know you're a couple clicks away from a few people or courses or groups that can mentor you, can coach you, or courses you can take so that you can learn. Mm-hmm. You know my my kids joke. Um, you know, when, when I'll ask, my son is very much into, uh, AV and, you know, video production and things like that. And I will ask him things as I'm editing my own podcast or as I'm doing different things. And he'll say, did you look it up on Google yet? And I'll, yes, I did. I went to Google first. I've, I've done the research. I've, I've done all the troubleshooting first. He's like, okay, now I'll come help you. <laughs> but mm-hmm. he's like, you have to get out there and do this yourself, mom, because, you want to have me available all the time. I'm like, I know that's why I'm, I am out there trying to learn how to do things on my own just because I know I may not have all the time people connected to me who are experts at this, who are great at it. Mm-hmm. At the same time, don't be afraid to reach out and ask people for help because if you don't know some of the tech stuff, there are a lot of people who do, you might, uh, you know, need to make an investment in some coaching, um, or some one-on-one training or some courses to do it. But yeah, I agree. That's a huge area to continue to develop. Right. Yeah. And you had mentioned that earlier is, um, just don't be afraid to ask people for advice, whether it is a coach, whether it is a mentor or others around you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, and I think that is maybe more, uh, performing musicians, um, you know, issue sometimes, I don't, I don't want to call it a big issue, but uh, a lot of us just have pride about what we do and we don't want to uh, expose the fact that we don't know something, but uh, it's so much faster and easier if you just, uh, it, it's okay to be, um, to show that you just need help and, it, and, it, and it's going to save you so much hassle down the line if you just start open about that right away. And actually it allows other people who might see that um, the possibility of, of having their questions answered too. So, um, yeah, yeah. Um, so I loved, I loved all of this. This is great. (laughs) Um, good answers. Have you had any particular favorite performing opportunity along the way or, or job that you've had in music? You know, so gigging has never been a favorite thing. I think because so early I, I was like required to play in front of judges and required to play, you know, for competition. I think that's probably why I don't like to gig. I'm more self-conscious than I probably should be. Yeah. Um, so I've never wanted to gig. I've done it, but it's never been a thing that I've liked to do. So I can't say that I have any favorite gigs or venues. Um, now when I perform, it's like, you know, oh, go to the assisted living and play oldies, you know, and it's like, okay, whatever, that's fun, you know, because half of them are asleep, half of them are calling out tunes, you mm-hmm. know, whatever. <laughs> um, and then the other thing that I, this is what I love the most, is performing with my students. So when we do recitals, I do a lot of ensemble music, duets. 
I have students who arrange music. Um, I said this in a uh, one of the Wisconsin Music Ventures um, musician hangouts uh, when we were getting to know each other. I had a student last year who was learning um, Levitating by Dua Lipa. And she was doing a great job with it, but there are some pieces, parts to some pop songs sometimes that you can't just do by yourself on one piano. And so I said, let's split this up and make it into a duet. And you help me arrange everything and we'll arrange it together, but I'll play the parts you don't want to play. And so we, she arranged everything. We did this duet on Dua Lipa's Levitating and we performed it at her spring recital that was the most fun I had had in a long time. And I was so excited for her because it was what a great thing to be able to do, right? Is to take a pop yeah. song that you love, be able to arrange it with your teacher and then perform it. She had a blast. So now like, you know, I'm still not a gig person. I'm not, I don't have a need to be a solo performer. I would much rather be the supporting act on stage. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah. And just hang out and have fun and make music with people collaboratively. Um, so I haven't had and that's favorite, okay. Yeah, I haven't had a favorite gig or a venue or anything or a favorite performance along the way. It's maybe unfortunate that I haven't. Um, I've been part of a lot of great performances, uh, but well, that Dua Lipa performance could be your answer yeah. right there. You yeah. know, yeah, that is just as important as as yeah. many other gigs that that come along. So. Um, and as a teacher, I mean, it's, it's so, it, it's so, it's so impressive to us as, and, you know, um, I can't think of the word, but, um, when we have that effect and, and you know, that the music is getting retained and, uh, appreciated and, and understood, taught, uh, right there with you. And, yeah. and maybe other people are seeing that in action and, you know, that's, that's, where a lot of the joy is as a teacher. Yeah. So yeah, I, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, excuse me. I'll let cough for a second. No problem. <coughs> Sorry. Um, have you ever just out of curiosity, you were telling me about some of your struggles earlier. <clears throat> uh, has, has being female ever played a role in any of your difficulties as a, as a musician or teacher? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, and it, and it still does today. So when I was working for churches, um, I quite often, um, you know, I had a, a retired age gentleman. This was when I was in my mid early twenties, um, not too long after I was out of school and I was working in a small church and a retired age gentleman, um, you know, because he was, he felt like he needed to prove a point or something. Um, he said, well, I don't know who you think you are, little girl. Hmm. Right. So, you know, I think as women, we always come up against, um, especially young women, we come up against the whole, um, gender and age when we're young. And so it was that little girl, you know, you're talking about, um, minimizing, diminishing <laughs> as much as possible, you know, um, even though I was a paid professional staff person at his church, I was in his eyes, someone not even worthy of uh, being an adult when clearly I already was. So that was, that was a tough one at first. Um, but I kept running into that and I have to say, you know, churches, 
almost every denomination is pretty male dominated, uh, pretty much patriarchy, patriarchal. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, I've worked with some really incredible uh, women pastors, but they've always been in the associate pastor role or in a staff position, not as head pastor. Mm-hmm. And what I found is that it was women bishops and women senior pastors who were actually some of the hardest to work with and some of the um, maybe also just as unethical, because I feel like a lot of women, especially during the 80s, adopted the mindset of, we have to play like the men. We have to be Mm -hmm. just as cunning. We have to be just as, you know, strict. We have to be just as mean. We have to be like men in order to succeed. And I think it's only been in the mid to late 90s when women changed that and said, no, we don't. Uh, We can bring our own different sense of femininity into leadership and create new models. So I have always battled um, gender issues, especially working in churches. Um, And then, you know, even recently with a podcast, (laughs) you know, I hate to say it, but like I get the most requests of people to be on my podcast from white men. And it's Hmm. great, you know, and I'll, I'll eventually work everybody in. But I'm also sort of like, I appreciate you but it's not your turn. <laughs> like we, yeah. have, we have women of color. We have, you know, I have transgender folks. I have other folks that they really need to take priority and precedent. And right now at this moment in time, and that's not going to last forever, but at this moment in time, you know, I really want to give priority to people of color, uh, people who are different, you know, genders, people who have just different experiences and backgrounds than I do, because I feel like that's, a, those are important voices. And as long as I have a platform that's mine, that's who I'm going to promote and lift up. And again, nothing against white men. <laughs> I have a great husband. Uh, I have mm-hmm. a lot of great people in my life uh, who I admire and respect. Um, but, you know, it seems like there are still a lot of people who think that you know, they're either they're the only voice that matters or because of how systems have worked in our society, people of color or people who have different senses of gender will not put themselves forward to ask to be part of an interview or to be a part of something. Why? Because they've been rejected so many times before, because they've been hurt so many times before. I have a guest coming up on my own podcast who, um, you know, she never, ever would have asked to be part of the podcast. And so, you know, we've had a conversation around that, like, you know, why did I ask her? Why did she say no at first? Um, Things like that, Mm -hmm. because um, so many people, unfortunately, have been treated so poorly. And Mm -hmm. so a lot of times people... Um, of color, people who identify differently, maybe in terms of gender, they've been, they're tired, they're worn out. They've tried and they've tried and they keep getting beaten down. And so a lot of times they don't ask anymore to be part of experiences, to be part of programs, to, they don't even apply to schools anymore because they're just tired of getting, you know, rejected. So that's another reason that I, as long as I have a platform, I am going to lift people up whose voices really get denied elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And I'm very intentional about that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I still experience a lot of that. I don't experience that kind of stuff, that kind of discrimination personally, but um, there are still people who 
in academia look at me and go, oh, you don't, you don't know what you're doing. You're just a, you're a cottage industry music teacher and that's where you always belong. One, because I'm female. Two, because I don't have the letters after my name. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's definitely still there. And I have to agree completely with um, the, the white male dominance of, of asking for, uh, for things. And, and yeah, what it, it's, it could just be, yeah, exactly what you said. Just, you know, uh, for, for our case, it's more uh, sometimes with the podcast, but also with, um, with, with getting gigs through us. Um, I have, I often tell people probably 95% of the people that request uh, information or gigs through us are white men <laughs> and yep. occasionally a female. Um, it's just, that's just how it is. And I, I wish it was different, um, but I, for, for anyone else to get anyone else involved with us, I really have to actively pursue them. Yeah. Um, and, and I do because I want that, but um, that, that's just the facts. That's just how it is. Um, yeah. and I and, feel like that's why it's so important for us as women founders, women, business owners, women, entrepreneurs, not only to support other women, but to also make sure that we're helping other women entrepreneurs and other entrepreneurs in general, men too, that we, part of the people that we employ to support our businesses have to be much more diverse. And the people we put in charge of our marketing, the people we put in charge of our finances, the people we put in charge of whatever it is we're doing, engineering or technology or whatever, can't just be like us. Mm -hmm. We have to have people from other cultures, from other um, ethnic backgrounds who speak other languages, who've had completely different experiences in their lives than we've had in order to make our businesses better. You know, I, my attorney is local and she's black and I love her advice Mm -hmm. because she's just like, you know, why would you even think about this girl? (laughs) I'm Mm -hmm. like, Oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. (laughs) (laughs) You know, um, you know, my CPA is female and has a Hispanic background. You know, I want people who have varied backgrounds involved in what I do. I'm hiring someone to do marketing in the next month. And again, I'm looking for people who have a very different voice because I don't want it just to be about me. I want the people who make decisions with me and for me to be different because it makes Mm -hmm. my business better. And Mm -hmm. that's what we have to help each other understand is that your business is better because you put people in decision-making places and empower who are different. Same thing with a lot of other founders and business people I know when they have people not just sitting on their boards as token, you know, diversity people, Mm -hmm. but when they have people who are actually doing the work, making the decisions and who have the power, who are very different from them, their company, their organization is so amazing. And that's what we want to continue to Mm -hmm. push forward. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for speaking so candidly on that topic. Um, is there anything that we didn't talk about on this uh, on this podcast that you would like to bring up? Oh my goodness, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just didn't, I I know that I'm about encouragement, and so you know, there are so many places where people get beat down, and I just want to encourage everybody who's listening or watching: uh, if you are beat down, you move forward, and you ignore all of that. 
and you only attach yourself to people and things that build you up. And so I'm a person who likes to build other people up. You're a person who likes to build other people up and promote, promote and support others. And we have to make that the norm. We can't make hater the, haters the norm. You know, I'm getting really good at using the block button. <laughs> I have another mm-hmm. friend who is also an entertainer and he's like, block, 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 block. And I'm like, yes, that's, that's it. Because I think it's very easy, especially when you become successful or as you're going toward being successful for a lot of other people to not like you, to not like what you do or not like how you do it. But we can't pay attention to that. Mm-hmm. We have to stay focused and we have to stay attached to people and things that keep building us up and keep us moving forward as long as we're clear about what we're doing and why. And that's where I'm at too. I'm very clear about what I'm doing and why. I'm very clear about what my job is on this earth. And that's what I want other people to be able to do as well and be supported and uplifted. So yeah, mm-hmm. that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Super well said. And that's why I hang out with you. (laughs) 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 I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. I love it. And thank you for being a great supporter of of what we do and um, just so glad to know you and good luck with all the new ventures for yourself. Um, Keep us posted. Yeah. And uh, where can people find information? So right now, uh, my team is building a new website. It's called Music Grow, musicgro.com. And that is the new company. Everything will be there. So uh, if you're looking for coaching, if you're looking for Music Lesson Pathways course, which is for music teachers, or any information about what I do, all of it will be up on the Music Grow website. And you can find it at musicgrow.com. I believe it's also musicgrow.net. We've got like three domains that we have registered. So just Google Music Grow. As we get more and more up there, um, you'll find eventually products. You'll find blogs. You'll find the podcast will be up there and it'll be how Sounds of Encouragement will be up there. If you need a dose of encouragement, go listen to our episode on Sounds of Encouragement. Absolutely. episode. So yeah, um, I'm out there, uh, but Music Grow is the new company that's the umbrella that houses everything that currently exists, including my uh, studio, but that's what will continue to grow and where there'll be more information in the future about whatever it is we're doing, whether it's um, platforms for artists or conferences or whatever. Mm -hmm. Nice. Uh, well, thank you so much, Melissa, for being on the show today. It was such a thank treat. You. And uh, yeah, definitely stay in touch. Absolutely. We, we are on for dinner, hopefully next summer somewhere. <laughs> yes, we'll meet up somewhere in Wisconsin. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> All right. Have a good one. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you'll leave ratings and reviews for us wherever you're listening from. Visit themusiciansventure.com for more information on upcoming guests, show notes, and ways to send us your topic suggestions. The Musicians Venture podcast is hosted by Allison M., recorded at Podcast Town in Wauwatosa, Wisconsin, produced by Shannon Coulard, with theme music written and performed by Mike Neumeyer. Thanks again. <laughs>